passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everyone. It's John Pollock and Waiting. Rewind to Dynamite Wednesday night, January the 24th. Hello, Hey, John. How you doing? It's been busy. It's been a busy couple of days. I feel like it's a lot's happened since you and I last spoke. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Uh, the news broke Tuesday morning. Tuesday. Very right early. early. Mm-hmm. Woke up. I was like, oh, Jesus. A lot of stuff going on here. I was just, just about to go to sleep, actually. Oh, really? Oh, so we yeah. just did the, the tag in, tag out. Pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you just say, F this. I'll deal with this when I wake up. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I, how could you not read up on it, you know, and, and just maybe get as sort of absorbed uh, as much as you could? Let's start from the top. The most pressing issue that many of our listeners, viewers want to know right off the top. A lot of news items to get to, but 1A. Have you watched Nick Khan on Wheel of Fortune from December 25th of 2000? I saw the clip. I, I mean, has there been more? Uh, that, the whole episode that, is there. On, oh, okay. Yes, yeah, so I saw watch. a clip of it. Mm-hmm. You don't seem as... Uh, no, it was, it was fascinating. It yeah. was really interesting to see this guy back in 2000. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing since sliced bread. Nick that, Khan. That, that is correct. Yeah, I had no idea that was how he, um, I guess, paid his way through school is the story. Interesting life. Has to be a book on that man at some point. Mm. From mm-hmm. an usher yeah. at WrestleMania 9 to doing, you know, boxing deals and right up the food chain. I mean, yeah, totally. Wheel of Fortune, you know, that's a, that's quite incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, let's start a bit. Obviously, we've gone pretty uh, extensive covering the whole uh, Netflix deal over the last couple of days. I've done two shows with Brandon Thurston over the last two days that you can catch up on. Uh, today, we had Dave Meltzer on the show to chat about uh, just, just more uh, fallout from the deal, the many, many questions that arrive, and how significant this is, not even as a WWE story, but as a as, as a business story, as a change for Netflix in terms of its its business moving forward, getting into the live event space in such a big and permanent way as this deal represents. This is not a one-off here or there of doing some kind of live comedy special or golf event. This is committed to 52 weeks a year for a deal that could be anywhere from five to 20 years in length. And 
will be, um, I mean, Netflix will be part of the WWE discussion. I mean, it might outlast us. It, I guess it could. What are you suggesting, John? I mean, not, not so much our mortality, years. more so just, uh, I mean, will we be doing this as we're talking about the next if it goes raw to domestic full, television rights or streaming rights? If it goes to its full term, we will be 60 years old. Um, and that that is just hard to even picture at this point. Yeah, it's massive. It's massive for um, for wrestling. It's massive for I, I think just even. What will media. we be reviewing? Will be will we be getting ready for Dana White to announce the uh, the main event for UFC eight hundred? Like what's what's going to headline? I think 800? we'd all be discussing uh, maybe Power Slap. Um, uh, I don't know five hundred and, and and nine. Power Slap will be the the sport that that has um, taken over the globe by that point. I think. Um. <laughs> Then what? what is age 60 really going to be all that enticing for us to be around for if that is the reality we live in? Rather than go through kind of like the numbers and, and the business sense sort of way for you, um, let's talk about it just from the Canadian angle in the sense that this is not going to be some some slow progress over. Like this is, it's all in if you are a Canadian in terms of Netflix being the sole distributor of WWE content beginning january the first it will be your home for raw for smackdown for nxt and for the premium live events i would say that it is an easier buy-in for your international fan that is only going to one place for this whereas the u.s while i don't think this is going to be a major inhibitor for their growth it is kind of piecemeal at the moment where you will need peacock you will need Netflix and you will need cable if you still want to follow SmackDown in, in that traditional sense as well. So how do you view it? Just as a consumer of the product, does this um, does this entice you more? Is this and the growth opportunity as well, given that this is the most powerful streamer that is out there? Mm-hmm. For me, I, I think it is just strictly speaking as a consumer, not necessarily somebody who covers, you know, the company. It's very enticing. You're telling me now I get to consolidate all these different subscriptions into one item that I already subscribe to in a Netflix. You're, I mean, I, I'd be saving, you know, a hundred bucks probably. You know, I, I like. I guess if it, it, I, I, if you're not an AEW fan and you're strictly, you know, relying on the WWE for your pro wrestling content, what reason do you have to even retain cable at that point? Um, and you know, the, for the Americans, I mean, it's it's not like they're not getting anything more than that they aren't aren't already. I suppose um, we're we're mainly talking about, I guess, this period while you know, uh, uh, Peacock still has the uh, uh, WWE network, but um, you're, I guess, kind of exchanging Fox for Netflix at that point. And I have to think a lot of people still have Netflix accounts. It, it's probably a pretty solid percentage, and I think that is where. Like there's there's many unknowns in this deal, but I think part of it, Brandon has done a really effective job of trying to break down all the different revenue streams for the WWE because, you know, uh, you're you're seeing like the number that is being thrown out there, five billion dollars, and it's a staggering figure. And even when you break it down to five hundred million in average, the average annual value, you can't just directly compare that to the two sixty five of Raw just because of the whole international component so much is bundled into this package but the x factor is what will the growth of netflix be over the next 5 years what is the wwe getting in on not on the ground floor but on a 
on, on, on the, the sturdiest of streaming platforms that is only going to grow and the amount of younger viewers that you are going to tap into like there is a there is a value in this that you won't be able to quantify but one that could be of of great great um hidden value to a wwe conversely i mean here is wwe that we look at sort of these five-year markers where we have seen staggering increases in their rights fees and WWE is sort of, we're going to buckle in with Netflix for the potential of, you know, realistically, we're looking at 10 years. I would be really stunned if there was an opt-out at year five for Netflix. Mm-hmm. You can't, there, it, it's there. It exists for that option. But realistically, we're looking at 10 years with the opportunity of 20, and they are locked in to this deal for those raw rights so you you will still have smackdown and nxt to play around with in theory but i mean for your your flagship program like you are planting your flag with netflix and maybe having the belief that let's go long term instead of the idea that maybe we do get burned uh if this bubble bursts in five years and we we can't um increase that part really surprised me you know Uh, i mean i don't think it's it's that huge of a shock i suppose that they're choosing to go with an an, an streaming only platform for wwe raw Uh, we were already talking about that possibility with amazon being very real but the idea that um they're they're willing to perhaps um surrender those rights for 20 years is um again we don't really know sort of like netflix's demands you know maybe i mean i have to think maybe this this might have been their their sort of like um request um and and w but wwe and tko being uh able to being willing to kind of let that go maybe tells you that they are um very confident at netflix's staying power over the next 20 years um and uh i i do think like there is a huge value especially at least at the present you know of, of strictly being on netflix as a sort of boost to you know uh, a product um and, and it's it's possibility of like breaking uh any sort of like niche bubble you know take for instance f1 um which worked like a charm for us through drive to survive i mean um i it's not just the quality perhaps of that reality show but being on a platform like netflix and being on a on a trending now sort of a section that i think it certainly exposed somebody like me to a brand new sport and that in turn made me a, a very devoted you know a fan of a brand new sport um it, it's very possible that could happen for professional wrestling as well for a brand new audience and uh we'll see if and it they've said happens. as much that they are looking at they're going to develop their own version of that and i mean i it remains to be seen what a a vehicle like that could do for wwe but it does seem that but strictly being on Netflix is oh is being on thing. being on on Netflix where it's going to be so heavily promoted. This is not um you know just being thrown up there. This is going to have all of the muscle behind it. This is Netflix making a huge statement about our entryway into live programming and in such a fashion that it is not um, traditional in the sense of it. It's not the NBA. It's not Major League Baseball, but it is something very unique in and of itself in WWE. But the the drive to survive model, it seems that it was a, I don't want to call it a unicorn, but it worked uniquely for F1 that I don't know if, like, I have not watched the, uh, like the, the tennis version or any of the other ones, but it just seems every sport has almost said, we're going to make our drive to survive. And I don't know if anyone has quite captured what F1 has been able to do, where it was coming from a very, you know, 
international, very big scale, but domestically, very, very niche in comparison. And now, you know, exploded through a lot of factors. And will a WWE be able to find the magic formula? It it remains to be seen. Yeah, I, I don't know if, the you know, maybe even those comparisons are, are so direct, you know, because this is um, strictly like... I mean, beyond perhaps a documentary sort of like supplement, like you're you're going to be presenting the actual event, you know, um, uh, every single week and then uh, beyond that as well. So um, I, I think the promotion is going to be, be a big key part of it. You know, you're going to potentially see it on the front page every single week that Rob might be live. Um, and what's that going to look like for Netflix? Um, what's like a big question I have is um, if at least um so okay so internationally raw and pay-per-views ple's are going to be on the same service right and it's it's possible for, for most international markets not all but okay most. it's possible that um netflix could um you know take over the rights for peacock eventually right um for these ple's and and so at that point um how do you distinguish a an edition of raw from a pay-per-view like what incentive do you really have to distinguish an episode of raw from a pay-per-view well when i they're... i think it's almost inevitable that you will see like you already have like a tiered system on netflix i mean would they would they introduce something where this is a a an upcharge that you would require for your pay-per-view content like that is hmm. all things i think every all, all of these streamers i think you are going to be seeing number one price increases and number two sort of introducing that pay model which if you believe that is a quicker path to revenue for some of these services a wwe and a ufc become very valuable in that sense that maybe they are not the the tippy top nfl or college football level but it's an audience that, okay, a bit smaller, but an audience that is trained, as I've said many times, to pay for the biggest product. There is mm -hmm. a little bit of putting the toothpaste back in for wrestling fans, but I think ultimately, if you were even to take you know, your, your signature events, it would be, maybe we're not going back to the days of $60 pay-per-views, but back to 30 and if you know, WWE... all, all these things would be on the table. John, if WWE this year for this upcoming WrestleMania said that they were going to be charging 30 bucks per night, how how many people would not watch? I mean, you'd probably end up getting together with some friends to maybe split the cost. But I, I mean, this this is the hottest th this company has been in years. And if there's a time to do something like that, well, maybe it would be around this period. So I'm just kind of curious your own thought that if if Netflix is looking at this is what is the value of raw on a Monday night versus creating another night of mm -hmm. the week? Um, the, like you don't have necessarily like that is sort of what your audience is trained to, but are there just too many factors? It's not as though football is diminishing in popularity. It is only becoming more of a behemoth to deal with all mm -hmm. those weeks of the year. Is there an argument yeah. towards another night? I, I think, you know, you, Brandon, Dave had, had a, you know, have had really great conversations about, about this. Um, it's such it's such an interesting sort of set of musical chairs, you know, with SmackDown uh, it being staying on or moving to USA and possibly taking over that Monday spot. Um, it's just weird, okay, like to think that we we possibly could be talking about Monday Night SmackDown while Raw moves to I don't know a Tuesday. You know, it's very 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 strange. But if I'm Netflix, um, 
move it from Monday. Like the benefit is that you're training an audience. You have a trained audience through 30 years to, to, to you know, watch this thing on Monday nights. But uh, again, yeah, I, I think if you told me that SmackDown would be Tuesdays from now on, I, I, I don't think many people would have trouble maybe, you know, jumping over. I guess, though, is there the danger that like SmackDown becomes sort of like the like what at, at this point becomes the A show? I guess I'm curious to you. I think it's like, I think both shows are going to be presented very strong. Like I look at today and I think in, in the moment that we are in raw is you're, you're seeing a big emphasis on raw given, right given the star power. But I would say generally these are shows that are pretty closely aligned. And I think both, and you've got to remember that there is going to be an audience of, and granted it, it has gone down a little, the 50 plus audience and not to say that you're 50 plus, you can't figure out how to use Netflix. But I do think that is a portion of the audience you might not convert over to Raw that mm. SmackDown may become like that is your WWE viewing on a weekly basis. So mm-hmm. I, I am not. And let's like be frank here. Like SmackDown is not going for like some some pittance here. Like there is a lot uh, that NBC and NBC Universal, that is their sole investment in WWE uh, those two hours each week. But I guess what you know. Okay, let's say you have Dwayne Johnson. He's only going to appear on one show a week. What show do you expect the WWE to have feature him on? Um, I think it'll it'll depend on circumstances. Like I do feel Netflix is going to be the priority because it is the emerging technology. It is the one that you are in theory taking an audience from one medium to another, and like I do feel that will get a significantly like. Let's put it this way: I think the the January 2025 debut of Raw is going to have significantly more promotion on the Netflix side, not just WWE, than SmackDown moving to USA come October, which will be built up as a big show. But the move, to, the debut on Netflix of Raw, Raw leaving mm-hmm. linear television, like that's going to be a an event for people that don't even follow wrestling, like media analysts. Can they pull this off? Will there be any streaming issues? Like there's going to be all this attention because of it being Netflix. Like the folk, the spotlight will be immense for raw moving there. It will. Very exciting. So we'll talk about this all year. And uh, as we, uh, as we, as we count down, let's uh, move on just because there is quite a bit of news here. I uh, wanted to, uh, go over quickly um the passing of harold hogue who wrestled in wcw and uh and as well over in germany uh but mainly in wcw as ice train and later mi smooth and uh, it was diamond dallas page that revealed he passed away earlier this week only uh the age of 56 no cause of death has been shared but he was a power plant guy that debuted in 1993 and was largely an underneath figure in WCW. He spent a good amount of time over in catch for Otto Vons and even won the uh, the catch cup, which was their annual tournament, won that in 95, which included a JBL in that year's tournament, Fit Finley, Tony St. Clair, and then came back to WCW. And for a time, he was paired with Scott Norton, and they were known as Fire and Ice. And they had a series of matches with the Steiner brothers, I guess maybe their most High profile match was a tag title match at the Great American Bash that year in 96 and like decent matches that they had together. I mean, he was never like a a world class uh, worker, but nonetheless had a lot of size attached to him and would return um, would return to catch. That's kind of where he bounced around, worked there 
um, through the back half of 98. And then his next big run came in 2000 as WCW was sort of sputtering throughout 2000. And that's where he was uh, repackaged as M.I. Smooth and uh, ended up staying with WCW until they went under. And pretty much you didn't hear from him again into wrestling. Like he left the industry and then popped back for a match a few years ago in 2019 in Germany. And that was sort of it. So moved on after WCW didn't pursue anything. He was somebody that it was like he was a decent promo. And he also had the size that it would not have stunned me if WWE would have at least uh, sent him to like Heartland or OVW or somewhere for for a look just because of the size and and he could talk. But um, no, just totally got out of the industry. So um, rest in peace to uh, Harold Hogue. Again, 56 years of age. Seth Rollins was on with uh, Daniel Cormier on his uh, on his show and gave a much more optimistic view of things than his promo would have uh, led you to believe on Monday's edition of Raw. So we're going to hear this clip uh, of Daniel Cormier in conversation with Seth Rollins and giving his thoughts on the knee injury and what return date he is targeting. Rehab's going to be a pain, man, you know, but um, dodged a bullet. The ACL is intact. So anybody who knows anything about ligaments in the knee, the ACL is a big one. Uh, that one is good. The MCL will heal with time. You know, we'll get in there. We'll do some stuff. We'll check out the PRP and do some rehab. Um, I'm, I'm hoping to be back at full strength around a month. Around a month is like kind of yeah. my timeline. And we'll see what, what happens. We're going to take it day to day. I'd like to be back in a month. Uh, I, I, I don't want to walk into WrestleMania and that be my first match in two months, three months, whatever it is. Like, I, that's not going to be good for me. I want to be able to get back in there, um, kind of test the wheel out and make sure that we're in a good place. So we'll see how it goes, but I'm taking it day by day. And, and just, I, I'm, I'm happy, like I said, that we dodged a bullet and wasn't anything too serious. that was going to put me on the shelf for six to nine months. So apologies there. ESPN's graphics. They like to, uh, uh, ride some spaceships uh, through through Bristol. Um, getting a lot of uh, noise during uh, uh, some chats. But uh, Seth Rollins is hoping to be back in a month. So, I mean, that, that would certainly suggest that he is um, well on, you know, uh, probably a very aggressive rehab schedule. But, I mean, the, the idea of WrestleMania being in doubt, I could certainly see that being played up in Mania and this knee injury. But, I mean, certainly seems there that, you know, he is he is not too concerned about this uh, affecting Mania in any kind of way, nor would you have believed they would have started that story Monday if that was a doubt. Mm. I love um, seeing wrestlers just be transparent, you know, in interviews and um, just kind of speak honestly and out of character and uh, about their real life sort of uh, situations. I'd be lying if I said um, I wasn't maybe a little bit um, uh, disappointed at this particular clip just because I felt like there was such a great story to be told about whether or not he'd be ready for WrestleMania. You know, we talk about all those like incredible sort of like maybe rehab uh, uh, videos, which they could still very much do. But, you know, it, it's Rollins here saying, uh, I feel very confident that in a month I'll be at rid of this thing. And in fact, I'm going to wrestle even before WrestleMania. And uh, listen, all that is, is the fact that he's even healthy. And like he said, dodge this bullet um, is absolutely wonderful. I guess part of me um, just, you know, feels like there was there, there was just like so much drama, you know, uh, with with sort of like the, the carrot dangling that could have been done with something like this. If you want to check out the uh, the rest of this interview. There is no man in the world happier to interview pro wrestlers than Daniel Cormier. Mm-hmm. He was yeah. just, just so excited to have Seth Rollins. Oh, Seth is this guy. 
I'll tell you who else was excited. The uh, the 1,500 or so people that were court at, were at Corcuan Hall on Wednesday morning for Kazuchika Okada's final match in the arena. Uh, he's got the three more matches in February, but this, he noted after, was the last official match on his contract. Um, so, I mean, he's doing the February shows, but is not going to technically be under contract for those. Uh, did you get a chance to see this yet? I did, yes. I'm not going to say this is going to be the match of the year, but in some ways, this was maybe my favorite match I've watched this year. It was Hmm. so incredibly electric. The second Okada came out, you know, tonight, tonight we had a crowd in Savannah, Georgia. That was sometimes we say like a crowd that it might be a small number, but it sounds like 10 times that Savannah was like 2,100. That sounded like 2,100 people. If that Corky and hall was 1,500. That sounded like 10,000 when Okada came out. It was just the most unbelievable atmosphere and you could see how moved okada was for the this is the home base arena and this is who knows when and if he will have another match at korakuen hall you or in, to, in tokyo in tokyo you're, you're right you're right because the other car like he's in osaka and sapporo for the the final three and so i mean the heat was amazing and like Shane Haste, Mikey Nichols, and Kosei Fujita, they treated this like we're going to have the greatest match of our lives. And all the attention was on Kosei Fujita of trying to step up and take the fight to Okada. I will say, like, low-key, I thought Shane Haste was amazing in this match a- as well. So it was just an amazing response. Um, we saw a lot of interaction between Okada and Fujita including this O'Connor roll by Fujita for a huge near fall. Like this audience like thought like, man, that was going to be it for Fujita to get this big win. But in the end, Fujita gets hit with the elbow off the top and Okada pins him after the Rainmaker. Uh, I was stunned when I looked down and it was 22 minutes and 17 seconds. Um, But then afterward, Okada shakes hands with Haste, shakes hands with Nichols, shakes hands with Zack Sabre Jr. And then Fujita, who is laid out from the Rainmaker, he just goes pats him on the chest acknowledging him and then they they help Fujita to the back as Okada takes the microphone and the man just breaks down crying it was the most emotional promo here and thanks the fans for 17 years here in New Japan and then vacates his title in in the ring and notes that this is the last match on my contract I've got three matches to go and we get Tanahashi Okada and Ishii posing in the ring together backstage dude Ishii is holding back tears wow. something i yeah. never thought i would see tomohiro ishii coming to tears the same week that yuji nagata is going to wrestle in bozier city louisiana okay some some wild <laughs> things occurring on your screens i just i thought this was amazing i i, I have not seen the main event yet uh, shura umino and ren narita went almost 34 minutes um i'm very curious to see this match and um how they followed uh this because that was a super big match for the two of them to headline that card but um Go out of your way to see this uh, this trios match, and probably end probably the last time you will see those three together as a trios unit, and one of the one of the great trios I think of our um, of recent years. They were nearly my tag team of the year just by um, inclusion of a trios unit. I, I never thought there'd be so, so much significance placed on the never open weight six man tag team championships. Um, but here we are, you know, uh, an incredibly uh, moving moment uh, from, from Okada. Um, 
just um you know again one of those moments that clearly sort of transcends the whatever fiction uh you know there might be a professional wrestling this is a man's last day at his job you know that where he spent um you know the last decade at uh more than that and uh you know the 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 the, the franchise player the mvp that's leaving the hometown you know that that he's won multiple championships for um in, incredibly emotional not just you know watching his hit it on his face but all of his other sort of colleagues as well i thought the match like you know did a lot to perhaps um uh, elevate uh, Kosei Fujita's stock, you know, but, but putting a lot of emphasis on him and his interactions with Okada surviving or at least avoiding, you know, the Raymaker and trying to do their best to maybe make up for the rush job that they have of giving whatever value Okada might have to the next generation. Yeah, you could see it like afterward, all the attention they were trying to place on onto Fujita here, which um, like I, I have no issue with this, this outcome, uh, provided this like we don't know what the Sapporo matches are going to be mm-hmm. but I do feel like Umino winning today in, in the main event like if he's the front runner great whoever you're picking just just go with it but I think like those are going to be three incredibly I think significant matches what what they are between Tanahashi I mean I don't know if we'll get like a big Okada match on night one in Sapporo but you would think night two is like the big send-off match and whoever that's that's with that's going to be something else to see so um i could definitely see a lot of tears uh following the the tanahashi match uh again from both men you're going to get crying okada i think for every single one of these matches remaining left on this uh, uh does does osprey in the cage close that osaka show over okada and tanahashi because that is Ooh. will's final match and Don't, that would be wouldn't new japan already have posted a well that's listed order? as as the main event i guess Okay. But I mean, this this is a rare curveball that they have. I mean, they changed the card literally for Okada and Tanahashi to have a spot on this show. I'm assuming they will end with the cage match just because it is not Okada's uh, send off that night. It's Will's send off. But um, man, that's that. Those last three matches. I mean, that is yeah. This a- is this is really strange. They have it listed currently as the the fifth match on uh, on that particular show, which would 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 be surprising to me, um, but. Uh, they, they 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 might change this you know they they kind of have you know for for g1s for instance you know when 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 it calls for it so um yeah it's gonna it, be a it, hell of a show when you've got danielson and zach saber jr that is like maybe like the third most in mm-hmm. like anticipated match on on that show like so, the age match they're gonna go insane in that in that that's gonna be a bloody war on that do card. you think okada loses to tanahashi or beats him no yeah, I think I think he wins. I don't think so either. And I think you're gearing up for one loss on the way out, and I don't have mm-hmm. a problem with that. Me neither. If he wins clean on the way out, I would certainly be questioning that. I think if he, first of all, like if he's going to lose to anybody, I don't think it should be Tanahashi, who doesn't really have that much value to to give at this point anyway, in my opinion. Um, and it would just be so obvious that um, this you you just be jotting him out, you know, on his way out. Um, One I think it should have the impact of beating him. It shouldn't be exactly. spreading it around to multiple guys. The least mm-hmm. of which is Tanahashi. That you're right. It it does not matter. It's the significance of the final singles match that they're going to be having maybe ever mm. so anyway that was great uh dark side of the ring season five it's coming march the 5th on uh, tuesday nights and we have a 10 episode run consisting of gentleman chris adams they will dedicate an episode to sensational sherry terry gordy black saturday from july of 1984 
Chris Colt, The Sandman, Earthquake, Harley Race, Buff Bagwell, and Brutus Beefcake. Mm. Hmm. So, I'm looking forward to like 60 minutes of like John Tenta that, I mean, there yeah. is the, like the, like the, the Koji Katao match that he had in Japan that just turns into like full on shoot in the, in, in the midst of it. But mm-hmm. I mean, he had some awful gimmicks, but was just such a, such a wonderful man. He was just mm. like, a, he was like, just so this was a guy that like openly like would, would post on wrestle crap and stuff and be like, thankful. Yeah. Like, thanks for thinking of me. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he did yeah. not take himself seriously at all, whether he was Golga or, or, or shark. Um, anyway, I think <laughs> I, I'm fine with like ones that are, you know, not, not super like downers, but uh, there will be maybe some of those. I mean, yeah, like maybe to, on on the surface, mate, for some of these, um, like like the dark sides of them might not be like, um, I guess as apparent or as evident as um, you know, certain topics that that, that the show has covered. But um, what these are are like fantastic documentaries and biography pieces on people that don't typically get them, you know, whether either because they're 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 not necessarily big enough to warrant one on uh, any, or they just you know aren't within the WWE system. But because they're also well produced, you you just tend to like have a great understanding of, of all of these individuals afterwards, anyway, or at least like a section of their lives. So, um, I'm you don't, you don't see the Sandman getting the A and E treatment. Yeah, I don't I don't know if he was listed on, on that particular uh, list, but that should be interesting. Uh, the Buff Bagwell one is some is one that you know immediately jumps out to me just to, uh, I suppose, get some sort of synopsis of what's been going on in his life over the past you know twenty years since we last saw him. I imagine Tacoma will be a a, a good portion of uh, of that as well. Um, and uh, yeah, Black Saturday I think would be very interesting. Black Saturday could be a really good one. Um, mm-hmm. Depending on like that, it's it's a fascinating story. Um, in terms of how about Brutus Beefcake? Maybe a season finale. Better be quick. (laughs) All right, so that is coming up March the fifth. Over to some MMA news. Uh, Dana White announced on Tuesday night that the UFC has signed two-time Olympic judo gold medalist Kayla Harrison, and she will debut at UFC 300 against Holly Holm. Now, what's even more interesting is that this fight will take place at bantamweight, which Harrison has never fought at. She has primarily fought at lightweight at 155 pounds. The lowest she has competed at was one fight at featherweight a number of years ago in 2020 when she fought for Invicta. She had said a number of years back, when asked if she could get down to bantamweight, pretty much said, there is absolutely no way I could do this. I would have to cut off both of my legs to get down to bantamweight. So that is going to be a big story here is, can this woman actually get down to bantamweight? And if the question, if the answer is yes, and she can beat Holly Holm, who is, you know, a former bantamweight champion herself, this is a major acquisition of a star for this bantamweight division for the UFC. And it is... I mean, it's a great pickup for the UFC. I think it's a, I think it's a really interesting fight. Um, but that's a major question. If this woman can get down to 135 pounds, I think it's going to be like, dude, she competed at 172 pounds at the Olympics and has been fighting at 155. So, I mean, it like, it's like, that's a sizable cut, uh, for someone. And I have no idea if she's even done a, a test cut to see if she can get down there, but that's, it obviously tells you UFC has no interest in promoting featherweight at, for women's featherweight anymore because that would be the weight class she would be fighting at. But UFC is obviously when Amanda Nunez retired, so did the featherweight division. 
I would hope that she she would have um a lot some some really top quality nutritionists and dietitians that might be able to help her safely get down there. I mean, April is is quite a bit of time, and uh, you could make quite the body transformation, I suppose, in those three months. Yeah, but uh, I mean that card is really shaping up in, in, in a big way. So Kayla Harrison is, I, I think, a really nice addition to that card. And speaking of UFC cards. The UFC's debut in Saudi Arabia, as we had talked about last week, it has officially been postponed uh, with Turkey Alashik releasing a statement that it has now been uh, postponed until Saturday, June the 22nd. It will take place at the Kingdom Arena in Riyadh. And the statement was that um, essentially a decision was made to reschedule the event to ensure the best caliber of talent will be available to participate. So um, (laughs) this was after... um, uh, Ariel Hawani had initially reported that this was going to be postponed and they were targeting June and that the reason was like the card was just not at a certain level for this. And, uh, and Dana White adamantly refuted this called it BS. And um, like pretty much right here in the statement is a decision to reschedule was taken to ensure the best caliber of talent will be available to participate. So obviously they did not have a card that was ready. That was going to be at that level uh, of the best caliber. Uh, So Dana did state in the press release, this is going to be the type of card that we've never done before. It's going to be every fight is a must-see fight. And there you go, a must-see fight from top to bottom, uh, June the 22nd, which if the date is accurate that Conor McGregor gave out for International Fight Week, uh, this would be one week before um, that card at the end of June on June 29th, which is one of their big cards of the year. So there you go. And finally, uh, just a couple of ratings notes here. We have AEW Collision from Saturday doing 441,000 viewers and a .12 in the demo. So they were up from the week prior. uh, And this was going against the Green Bay Packers, San Francisco 49ers game that did uh, 37.5 million viewers. They were also going up against the UFC 297 prelims that did uh, just over a million viewers over on ESPN. Um, This was lower than all the collisions in December, but at least was up from the week prior. And the peak quarter, according to WrestleNomics, was for the main event with Danielson and Claudio Castagnoli beating Eddie Kingston and Ortiz. Raw on Monday did 1,686,000 viewers and a .55 in the demo. Largest uh, number since day one back a couple of weeks ago. And the big segment on the show, to no surprise, Cody Rhodes and CM Punk uh, peaking with 1,910,000 viewers, 811,000 in the demo. And then the quarter that fell afterwards, 20% drop in viewership, 24% drop in the demo, but uh, also doing a very, very solid number in Canada of uh, 329,900 viewers. And uh, you look there, a big spike for this promo segment with Punk and Cody Rhodes. To no surprise. Uh, NXT Tuesday night, 642,000 viewers, 0.12 in the demo. That was in uh, on USA, um, down 6% in viewership, even in the demo average number for NXT. But what was interesting in the, uh, the quarter hours from WrestleNomics is that this uh, segment for Lyra Valkyria and Roxanne Perez, it was their segment to build up their title match at Vengeance Day next weekend. This was a 14-minute overrun. And typically the overrun is there that it's going to artificially enhance your number because you've got people that are tuning in for the next program. Plus you have the big segment on the show in theory, and it boosts up the number. This was the lowest quarter of the entire night was this 14 minute overrun, which I can't remember too many times that that has happened, that the audience 
fell. Yes, it pulled down the number instead of uh, boosted it. But what did that mean in Canada way? The largest NXT number ever in Canada. (laughs) 142,000 viewers on Tuesday night. 49,700 in the 25 to 54 demo. So of uh, of NXT's time on Sportsnet 360, this was their largest viewership ever, topping the New Year's Evil number that they set. They've had a really hot month in Canada for whatever reason. It's not like this was an episode that had something super promoted on it either. It was a typical edition of NXT, but Canadians, dude, they wanted their Braun Breaker and Baron Corbin. They wanted to see what what's next with Joe Gacy. And they wanted to see a uh, two women chat about a match that they're going to have next week. Who doesn't? That's that's your pathway to Canadian viewership. This post wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. With that, uh, we alert everyone to go on over to postwrestling.com. And for those at postwrestlingcafe.com, wait, what can they expect on the menu Thursday afternoon? Thursday, John and I will be speaking about a little documentary called You Cannot Kill David Arquette, covering his return to professional wrestling after, um, I guess, decades away, you know, uh, after maybe a heavily criticized run as a WCW champion, um, David Arquette seeks to earn the respect of the wrestling community by uh, embarking on a, on a tour through the independent. So we'll be talking about this documentary and uh, I look forward to it as a bit of a book bookend to, you know, the David Arquette discussion we had maybe a month or two ago. Yeah. I, after watching this and uh, tracking this down, this should have been called, you cannot find David Arquette because dude, I had to go buy the, I had to rent this. Uh, I had to sign up for the Cineplex online service like like the movie chain and rent this thing i mean really not that difficult to to track down yeah anyway okay rented it watched it spent the whole hour and a half watching this telling myself have i seen this before and at the end i can't remember if i've seen this in the past or not so really that's us i guess we haven't i don't i guess we haven't you know what confused me i think that there's so much crossover between this and one of the dark side episodes that covered the Nick Gage David Arquette match. Okay, am I crazy? Uh, that was one of no. The, like the Nick Gage episode covered the Arquette stuff, right? Yeah, I, I'll, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, okay. We, we've seen a lot of yet, things. Yeah, okay. I've seen it before. Um, not, you have seen this before. I have seen this before. Okay, I don't think I watched this before, but regardless, I watched it this week. Okay, and then uh, Friday, Way is apparently on the long and winding Royal Road this week. What are you uh, winding and? longing for <laughs> we were talking uh wh park invited me to join the long and winding Royal road and we were talking about a match between yoshiaki uh, kawada and mitsuharu masawa uh not one of their more famous matches but a match that i guess is somewhat infamous uh, because uh kawada actually has his orbital bro- bone broken 
uh, or sorry, it's Masawa that actually has his orbital bone broken. So um, we'll be talking about that one. Uh, that'll be out Saturday morning. Okay, Saturday morning it will be out. Well, to to prepare for this this long road that Way has, he will be off Friday night from Rewind to SmackDown. So joining me again, my my Dallas uh, compatriot Neil Flanagan on the show Friday night for Rewind to SmackDown, mm-hmm. and then Way will be back with me Friday or no Saturday night after the Royal Rumble. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to that. Ten million shows coming up and plenty more up at postwrestling.com this week alone. Hey, by the way, um. I think we are going to put uh, Bruce and Karen's new beginning in Nagoya review out for free um, uh, on the feed. Uh, so you can, for those of you who may not have uh, heard their discussion about Kazuchika Okada's departure from New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, we'll be putting this up on the free feed. So all of you guys will be able to find it in your uh, podcast feeds on Thursday night slash Friday morning. Okay. So to check out all of that great stuff. And now we go to the end market arena in Savannah, Georgia. Last number from Russell takes 2,187. Just not a good number for, for dynamite when we're talking like barely over 2000 people. And sometimes AEW has gone to various places in the country where maybe the number is not that appreciably high, but man, the heat makes up for it. I mean, they got into some stuff here, especially like Jeff Hardy. And I think they were intrigued by like Minoru Suzuki and Adam Copeland. But I thought overall, man, the the crowd, the crowd's uh, heat did not make up for the low number. Like th- this felt like a low energy crowd in comparison to some of the the hotter ones that we that we get. Like I got like an impact vibe at, at certain points during the show. Mm, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I I thought it was like kind of standard at this point and 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 maybe typical of like a professional wrestling show like there are hot crowds and then there are sort of like average crowds I consider this more of an average sounding crowd um but when you look at the numbers themselves I mean down 3700 last time according to to WrestleTix and then this time um 2000 so it's it doesn't look great I'll say it out, out out loud that I'm just sharing what what came to me. So for the fans in Savannah that are furiously typing, no, it's at your me, fault. How dare you announce this? How dare you talk about it? Um, you doom and gloomer. Yes, I I, I can't take any more this week. So uh, go to go to my DMs. It's so, so weird. weird. Like like we get accused of being like AEW fanboys, and then. On Mondays, we get accused of or accused of being the other thing. So, whatever. It's all good. People people can have their opinions. They're they're all over the place as long as they're uh, consistent. Samoa Joe starts the show and he pretty much lays out the gauntlet for all future challengers and starts recapping his destruction of Hook, who comes out and he has a microphone. Excalibur. This is unusual for Hook. He's going to talk, and he says, "Joe won. I lost." And he shakes his hand, pulls in Joe, and says, "I don't know when." but I'll see you again. And Joe tells him, get to the back of the line. Security, get the unworthy out of my ring. And Hook throws the security around. I thought this would get like a bigger reaction, throwing these guys around, but it was sort of just a, you know, judo practice here. Applied the red rum to a guy who, I mean, th- this this security guy, he sold it by laying down with his eyes open and it was quite the uh, haunting scene. And uh, Joe just joins commentary and starts asking, who raised that animal? As Taz is just uh, disgusted. Here in mm-hmm. Samoa Joe. I, I love Joe in this role as a kingpin. 
He's so great. Yeah. Um, he just continues to like exude this like major presence over the entire show now. You know, it's not just really localized to um either Hook or whoever his opponent is coming up. I mean, it it feels like he's like an overlord of the entire company. And uh that's sort of what I think they're hoping this rating system will sorry, ranking system will will provide everybody on their path towards ultimately facing Samoa Joe. Imagine they introduced a rating system where your quarter hours were part of your stats coming yeah. down each week. And yeah. How are you doing in the demo? Yeah, that's it. I mean, yeah. Hook, Hook got a 14% increase in 18 to 34. That's going to get him a rematch. Roxanne Perez, that overrun went down. Looks like we're going to make this a triple threat. Vengeance day. That would be the ultimate. Uh, that that should be in the video game. Hangman Page, who is undefeated in singles matches in 2024, that sounds very impressive. But he's got a two and zero record. Uh, is taking on Penta, and they had a, a very nice match here to open things up. They went almost 14 minutes. Uh, Hangman is largely focused on Samoa Joe. I mean, this was pretty much Joe and Hangman with uh, with Penta just playing uh, third man, third wheel uh, out here. Penta avoids the dead eye, and then they both go down from clotheslines. Uh, through the break, Penta hits a Topicon hero, and then Page is back with a DVD, and Joe just dismisses Page being ever able to do that to him. So Page hits his own spinning Death Valley driver for a two-count, and Page overpowers him, avoiding getting his arm snapped. And as the fear factor on the edge is attempted, Page stops him, they fight some more, and then kicks Penta, sets him up for the buckshot, but it's caught with the Made in Japan for Penta's big near fall. They shoot Joe, who's looking all concerned at this. And then after an Orihara moonsault, Penta ducks the buckshot lariat. Penta gets clotheslined and then gets hit with the buckshot lariat for the victory. And now Hangman 3-0 in 2024. They note this is really big for his ranking. And Paige mm-hmm. tells Joe he's taking that belt, and Joe says he's on a mission that he will never accomplish. Mm, yeah very good match here between you know these two uh, as you might expect um i thought page you know successfully is showing off a bit of a meaner side he's looking very good feels like a worthy hot challenger right now uh focused you know like like this despite the mustache i mean you you take him a bit more seriously even with that thing i think he's doing well with the mustache yeah is that its own ranking system you know best mustache in the company well it's low-hanging fruit of some of the new mustaches we have seen on this show so he's mm. he's definitely been the best the best new mustache i will give him that yeah. renee interviewed orange cassidy who responds to roderick strong's challenge for revolution okay i'll wrestle you for my title at revolution that's what six weeks away and he says i'm not stopping i'm gonna keep wrestling i told tony to put some of my friends and enemies in a match on rampage and i'll face the winner on collision and then we had this awkward dialogue between him and renee before he took off and left, and they remarked how big Wardlow is. And the match is uh, Kip Sabian versus Commander versus Butcher versus Vikingo on Rampage, and the winner goes on to face Cassidy on Saturday. In Bossier City, Louisiana. Mm. Mm-hmm. Not to pick on Bossier City, but man, they're they're going to imagine they get like Vikingo and Yuji Nagata. I mean, this is going to be quite something on Saturday. This uh, And let's remember, this is the collision that is going up against the Royal Rumble. This is probably going to be one of the yeah. toughest Saturdays that they have had um, mm. ever. The Young Bucks arrive at the arena. They are handed format sheets, and they're looking it over, including noting, yeah, that's a banger alert. So 
I've learned that these two, this, these are the leading contenders for Brandon Davies Halloween costume for 2024. <laughs> I mean, spoiler, but uh, totally. I, I, you think they'll keep this up for, for that long? Like, will this even be cool by then? Is it cool now? And that's a good question. It'll be cool when they do it. Alec Marvez speaks with them uh, about all the buzz coming from their interview last week. And they are, they tell Marvez to call them by their passport names, Nicholas and Matthew. They are the last surviving EVPs and they need to run the show smoothly. And then they run into top flight and ask, are you guys late? They said, no, we've been here since 1 PM. Like, where are your credentials? My question was, why were these guys here? Did they work uh, Rampage, perhaps? Well, I was watching tonight's show. I didn't see them on anything. They weren't advertised for uh, Rampage. Well. What were they late uh, for? What were they here uh, for? Maybe pre-tapes. You know, we have no idea. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was it. That was that was Top Flight's appearance on the show. What, uh, a- any, uh, any solid reaction to the, to the Young Bucks? You know, it's um, not... I, I see what they are going for. Um, yeah. I just I just don't know if it's. We'll see. It's it's week I, two. It has not caught me. Yeah, I mean, last week uh, I was certainly skeptical when looking through the lens of these two being Sting's final opponents. You know, I had a certain maybe idea of what I wanted or what I want Sting's final match to feel like. And and it's this, like, you know, similar to Ric Flair and Sean, like a very serious, like, emotional battle. And I don't, don't know, I still don't really know how these two with these characters may fit into it. But, like, as as sort of, like, these, you know, heelish EVPs on their own, I thought this was fun, you know? Like, it, I, I enjoyed it here. Um, And I'm keeping an open mind to see how they'll interact with Sting and Darby. Trent Beretta and Wardlow was next. We have the best friends in Undisputed Kingdom out there. And a lot more selling here from Wardlow, which I guess is sort of the thought is that, you know, this guy just running through guys is probably not going to keep this guy a heel. So you had Trent getting a lot of offense in. At one point, he grabbed a chair that the referee doesn't see. And this is after he's been beaten down. So he makes his comeback, including a pile driver. And then the high cross gets caught by Wardlow into a power slam. And then he positions Trent on the buckle and just drops him into his knee before a delayed last ride power bomb and pins Trent. Um, the best friends are tending to Trent as the United Kingdom watch on. And then we just get Trent getting up and he's frustrated. So he shoves Orange Cassidy away. And so they are teasing issues with Trent and Orange Cassidy. They've been teasing issues between Trent and the rest of the best friends for quite a while. So um, slow burning that one still. And uh, in the meantime, kind of jobbing the guy out towards, you know, a, a heel turn. Um, it's the Jeff and, Hardy story. Although I don't know if they're really trying with Jeff Hardy, at least not tonight. You know, like, we'll, we'll see. We'll see what's anyway. But um, Wardlow, it feels like I've seen this, like, situation so, so many times. That it, like, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm just on a constant loop of, like, Wardlow being inserted into a new faction and being given strong wins. Um so I, I wondered if like this was um, leading towards perhaps him going after Orange Cassidy's international championship. And they're going to have to explain why, you know, he he joined the group in order to get the world championship. But somehow um, he might take a make a slow, slow detour to, to um, get to Orange. Um, he's definitely more interesting as part of like a group, you know, being the giant as part of a group rather than being on his own. So we'll see if uh, what they can do differently with Woodlow this time around. 
well, maybe if Trent gets his quarter hour report in and then he can explain that I did have to overcome an ad break during my match as well. So you know how that could negatively affect the numbers and, and look what we still pulled here. Uh, I, I'm liking I way it. more the, the ratings justification rather than the rating, rating system. I think mm, that's how yeah. that's how you get around a lot of these problems that uh, AEW runs into. And then ca- casually, they note that this Saturday, Brian Danielson versus Yuji Nagata in Bossier City, Louisiana. And this will be their first singles match together. Not their first matches together. They did have uh, a bunch of tags together back in, in New Japan 20 years ago. But this this is the, the like Brian Danielson like years ago said that Yuji Nagata was like his favorite wrestler, like the guy that he enjoyed working with the most. Um, So I imagine that this is a very important match for Brian Danielson to have. And I'm sure they're going to have the time to have it on, on Saturday. So um, I'm looking forward to this and I'm sure many people are when they finally get around to watching it sometime on Sunday. Yeah. There's something about like, you know, just seeing like these sort of, um, like Japanese stars that don't normally ever make appearances here being paired with, I guess, you know, faces that we see every single week in a Brian Daniels. And that just kind of gives you that like very strange, you know, dream match um, sort of vibe, even though I, I don't know how many people would have dreamt about this, nor Adam Copeland versus Minoru Suzuki at any time. But it is just like it, it, we still very much think of somebody like a Yuji Nagata as, as existing in a completely separate world that never interacts. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to this. Nagata can still very much go and on a stage um, uh, like like this with Danielson. Um, I'm I will be enjoying this in DVR form um, afterwards. Renee brings out Diana Perrazzo and Tony Storm on the stage for a sit down and they lit the screen where half was in black and white. And then Renee and Diana are in color. And I would say the fact that they went to this length, I, I was very impressed by the fact yeah. that they went to such detail here to do this. The production around this uh, timeless Tony Storm, you know, gimmick, um, I I think has actually been very impressive, you know, for a product like AEW that I don't think is usually known for their uh, special effects. And not to say this is any sort of special effect, but the the fact that they were there, they, they've been able to handle the, this Tony Storm gimmick as well as they have, I think uh, should definitely be commended. It's, it's been great. If the culmination of this story is eventually Tony Storm, and Deanna, she steps into the color and reverts back <laughs> and becomes Deanna's best friend and they're a tag team or something. I mean, that that's what this is all building towards, I think. It's not like we don't normally see her in color when she's wrestling. But, but just think of the moment that this could represent. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. This is like our, our Pleasantville uh, moment. Mm-hmm. Tony Storm brings up that Deanna Peraza was recently body shamed and says... That's too bad because there's so much more to shame you about than that and mentions the fact that they do have a history, but I have a lot of friends, all less talented than me. And Diana, you might be the best technical wrestler in the world, but I'm going to twist your lips so much you'll need an epidural. And Diana just is shaking her head at this and says, I didn't come here to make friends. I came here to become a champion and you used to be my friend. And I don't mind earning a shot and going through it arm by arm to get that title shot and says, I don't want to wrestle this delusional sham that you've become. I want to face the one that lived on dojo floors in Japan and lived in my house when you moved here and says, I also want the version. I want to beat that version and I'm begging you to find it. And then we get the reveal 
that these two have matching ankle tattoos. Yeah. Shocking. Shocking. I mean, this is like they're. Do we have matching ankle tattoos? You and me? Yeah, that, that we don't know about. Um, I'm not aware of any tattoos I don't have. Yeah. Uh, and then it led to like a big pull apart. And yeah, I thought it was a very good segment. I thought the both of them sounded really good. Perrazzo has felt very comfortable in the AEW title picture um, and on the microphone. I, I thought she sounded very good here. And I thought they scripted the segment in a really good way. You know, from first of all, like the, the black and white half screen, I thought uh, pre- was presented really well to the reveal of the tattoos to the pull apart. Uh, I would consider the segment a success. Also, the first time, I think, an insult of um, telling her to blow her tattoo out her bum hole was used. Yes. Mm-hmm. Very fresh. Listen, it's they've got like a real story between these two and they're playing it out. And you would think like this is going to be going all the way until the pay-per-view, which we still have about six weeks to go. But that's I like they're putting like I'll take this any day over. Diana shows up and wins a number one contenders match, and that's our opponent of the month. Like they're, I mean, this time to tell a real story here. This feels like a rare instance where you have a strong promo face to face segment leading to an AEW women's title match, and uh, I think it's about time that we we've had a Tony Storm opponent that that can actually you know build a bit of a story, or at that they're actually choosing to use to build a bit of a story too. And I, I think Diana is, is stepping up to the plate and delivering. John Moxley backstage says we don't keep track of bcc's win-loss records or how many titles we've won you know how many victory parties we've had zero because i would love a shot of the the blackpool combat club victory party says there's always another match there's always a bigger threat around the corner and that's the commitment to be the best you know what the definition of elite is that's what the company's called but many have come here and don't know and they just think it's a party well, the party's over and I will maim and pulverize anyone who can't keep up with the program. I will cut my heart out in Savannah, Georgia on rampage. If I need to for the people that pay their hard earned money for the best wrestling show in the world. And I do it every single time. I would love to know if, Hey John, we need a two minute promo for rampage. Cool. Who am I facing? We don't know yet. Can yeah. you just give us two minutes? <laughs> done and we yeah. cut away and it's like john moxley versus lee moriarty on friday night i mean dude the, this guy just got this amazing promo i'm waiting for him to like make a challenge for revolution it's just i know dude i beat the shit out of people and i'm gonna do it on friday night and i'm I'm gonna extend this for two minutes so this was this good i guess imagine how good it would have been if he actually knew who his opponent was and i i i came a, a, away with with the same feeling like you know there's good and bad to this the, the good is that this man is an incredible promo you 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 just turn a camera on him and he'll give you gold at the same time i'm disappointed that we we got no real build towards any sort of like grudge for for the actual match nor sort of any indication of what his larger story is you and know there, this is not as cold a match as people might think like yeah. you are coming off the Shane Taylor match like this mm-hmm. is a follow up to last saturday so it's not yeah. like there's nothing here to 
but even on from that but match. even okay but even then like he beat shane taylor beats lee moriarty like what does that mean for moxley you know like it just kind of feels like he's in sort of like aimless time-filled duty so that you know let's give it let's let's put him on collision let's put him on rampage so that he might bring a few eyeballs um but i I, I kind of need a bit more than that to get invested in, in, in the outcome of a match or to make time for a match more than just, you know, or a guy addressing directly his opponent in a promo, I think would be nice too. So I don't know if it just needs to be like better planning, um, knowing what your cards are ahead of time before asking dudes to cut promos um, to promote the matches. But yeah, there's also, I mean, and this is just me thinking out loud is, is he just biding his time and Will Ospreay comes in and that's the revolution match. Like he would be near the top of my list coming off the Tokyo dome. And that would be, yes. and the idea of guys that come in here and I'm, I'm the standard here for all the newcomers and mm-hmm. Will Ospreay is the latest guy to come in here. I think that's a very easy match to set up and maybe they're just waiting till he's done in Osaka and then you get him on for March. Johnny TV and Taya Valkyrie. Total uh, change up for Taya's character here. They are the most TV ready couple in AEW, and she cuts a promo on Deanna jumping the line, so challenges her for dynamite next week. And Johnny adds, no butts, no cuts, no coconuts, which, funny enough, uh, <laughs> is, is a line you always seem to use quite a lot. Uh, yeah, wearing this specifically, yeah, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wh- what did they call themselves? The most TV ready couple in AEW? Yeah, this is uh, QTV got canceled, so this is their gotcha. their latest edition. I guess it, it sounds awfully similar to um, you know the most must see couple um, in in sports entertainment or, or whatever the Miz used to call themselves. But I'm not hating on you know like uh, if these two are doing a very similar type of gimmick. First of all, like t- seeing Taya as a heel with this sort of voice is already a huge improvement over what she was doing before, which kind of at this point is was nothing. And uh, I. I'm curious to see how they get out of this for Valkyrie, like while like putting over Perazzo, you know, ahead of the, the Tony Storm match, you know, because I do, I can't see her just jobbing, you know. She could lose, I, I suppose, but but it, it but she's if you're just debuting this sort of like new, you know, tandem um with with, with Johnny TV, like don't you? I expect her to come out of it with something that would continue to progress whatever they're working on here. I think you can get away with just cu- kind of more character establishment here, but like Deanna should be running through people in the, in the lead up to this title match. Like she should not be losing next week, but of course not. No, like I'm looking I, at these two as much more sort of just comedy figures card comedy for now. Yeah. Mm. Like she's not in the title picture. I think that, I mean, uh, qu- quite frankly, like th- th- these, these shows are so packed w- with people. Like I, I don't really need a, a ton of these two unless something really catches fire with them. I think there's a lot of promise, you know. Swerve Strickland and Jeff Hardy. Uh, now, the audience, they really got into this. And more Jeff than Swerve, which I wouldn't have expected. Like, Jeff was the big baby face here to this crowd. And he comes out, and Jeff Hardy's doing, like, the losing streak and that he's getting frustrated. And he comes out, and he goes to do the juke and then just gives up and then starts doing the delete signal and just looks so deflated walking to the ring. and they're chanting so loudly for Jeff. At one point, he takes off his chain and just throws it off to Matt. And 
So the match continues, and uh, Jeff sweeps him off the edge and then hits a poetry in motion into the barricade and flies over the top of it. They go through the break. Jeff hits a whisper in the wind that uh, Tony Schiavone could not possibly describe. Matt is yelling, whose house, as Prince Nana is trying to do the same. And then Shivani mentions what this win would do for Jeff Hardy's standing in the rankings. What could this do, Way? Could propel him. And Hardy gets shoved off the turnbuckle, yanked into the post, and then they're, they're standing on the steps, and Jeff hits a twist of fate on the steps, rolls Swerve in and misses the swanton, and that allows Swerve to hit the house call, hits his own twist of fate, or at least attempts to before it's countered with a backslide, and then rolling flatliner, climbs to the top, and as Swerve does, the Jeff Hardy signal hits the Swerve stomp for the win. So Swerve picking up another win and protecting his ranking as Jeff Hardy gains another loss. And thus, Mm -hmm. man, hope this one did a good quarter because the record is not holding up well. I thought it was uh, probably like some of the most fantastic, the best atmosphere you had on this entire show. Uh, And as a result, I thought um, it helped elevate the match, but the match itself, I thought was very good. This to me was a reminder that, Reminder that people will always love Jeff Hardy. Even by the way, Jeff finally got back onto Dynamite after he's been, um, I guess, complaining for quite a bit on on, uh, um, I guess, uh, social media and such. This was also the longest match on the show. They went fourteen minutes. Like this was hmm. longer than anything else. I, I thought it was uh, interesting how I didn't see really any, any indication of a heel turn in the body of the match itself from Jeff Hardy. And he was playing up like a bit with the facials and stuff, like looking pretty like deflated and and stuff like that. But it was it was subtle, okay. Um, but you see a see a reaction like this, and and it kind of certainly makes you wonder why you would even consider turning him heel because people still love Jeff Hardy, at least you know in certain markets. Great chemistry in I a felt match like- with the guy that has been like the favorite of of so mm-hmm. many audiences. But it was like a Jeff Hardy crowd here, and not like he's been booked in such a way that would elicit this. But you know, in a 2000 people like they they saw jeff hardy as one of the big stars on the show that's what he felt like he yeah yeah um well swerve is like still technically like even though he's he gets cheered in many places he and and often plays babyface i suppose subtly like he's still sort of a a mean you know asshole like villain movie villain type of character right so i thought it worked out well you know between the two both of them are are, to me like known for their creativity and i thought that was exhibited in their um uh, in ring as as well as just like some unique spots that they they tried here so i thought it was a good match renee interviews hangman page who she says you should be near the top of the rankings you're undefeated this year swerve comes in it's like what the hell like i beat you multiple times and uh hangman's response is New year, new me, dumbass, and says someone's going to knock you down the rankings. And Renee informs them that Tony Khan has made a dealer's choice set of matches for next week where each gets to choose the other's opponent. Mm-hmm. Dealer's choice. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, a lot of promotion for the rankings here um, on this uh, episode, and um, they are going to debut them at the end of the month, they say. So, so again, so uh, I guess you're right. Yeah. So, you know, they do the thing where like, okay, January comes around and the rankings are reset. So what incentive does that give anybody to, you know, do well towards the end of the year? It's December 20th. Like, why am I working hard? You know, this is pointless. (laughs) Momentum way. Yes. Yeah. It's a a bit of a good question. Like, uh, if I, if I'm going (laughs) to take, go 50%, this is the time. 
Thunder Rosa and Red Velvet. Um, I mean, most of this took place during during the break. Uh, there's a sliding drop kick into the ropes, and then a Northern Lights for a two count. Velvet comes back with a double foot stomp, beat knees to the back, and then Thunder Rosa responds with a shotgun drop kick and lifts her up for the Tijuana bomb in seven minutes and ten seconds, and then is calling out Tony Storm. It's random, mm-hmm. so. Um, well, everybody should be after the champion. I guess so. Uh, I yeah. guess Thunder Rosa, you can add her name to the list. Yeah, I thought these two worked hard. Um, I, I was surprised to hear that they they had never faced each other before in their uh, AEW tenure. But I don't know if the match was as smooth as, in my opinion. Um, I, and I certainly can't say the crowd ever really got into it. No. Um, and as a result, like I think you're talking about a Thunder, Thunder Rosa that is still very much. Well, this is her first match on Dynamite in, in what years or one year at least. You know, like a long time. Um, it didn't exactly come across as the most impressive showcase for her. And, and a lot of that was because of the crowd. I think a bit of that was the match itself as well. Well, I'll tell you who got really into it. The Savannah Ban- Bananas were shown in the front row. Yeah, like a minor league baseball team. I don't know what this group is. Yeah, it was a uh, I would be like, could you be this loud? Like for the matches as well. They were really excited to be on TV. The Savannah Bananas. <laughs> Then we have the rundown of uh, every card over the next week. So Rampage has Kanosuke Takeshita and Christopher Daniels, Moxley against Lee Moriarty, Anna Jay against Ruby Soho, and the Kip Sabian Commander Butcher Vikingo match to set up who faces Orange Cassidy the next night on Collision. And Collision has that match for the international title, Danielson and Nagata, Mariah May and Lady Frost, the return of Serena Deeb, her first match since October of 2022. Yeah, it's a long time. Mm-hmm. And then the FTR House of Black elimination cage match. So, I mean, they, they have certainly, you know, it's a it's a good lineup for collision, but good luck on Saturday night. That's that's going to be a really tough one. I mean, it's important to uh, never give the indication that you're throwing in the towel. I agree. One of these. I agree. I think this is, you know, fine lineup to to put up there. And I, mm-hmm. I would never be just telling people, hey, here's a skippable show. And I think and that Yuji not- Nagata, like, it's a good sort of like. I wonder, like, it, it, it's a, like, I think Minoru Suzuki certainly is like a good one to put in a slot like that um, because people are going to go into their DVRs and watch it anyway. Uh, does Yuji Nagata pro- provide that sort of same, I don't know, excitement for the hardcores? I don't know. I think there's interest in the match, but I, I don't see that as like some, some big ratings match that you're, you know, if, if it was on a standalone Saturday night, would be like that would be attracting an audience. But for, for your, your regular viewer, I think it's it's one of those unique matches that I think people will want to check out, but maybe not live. And then Dynamite next week, we just have Taya Valkyrie and Deanna Perrazzo and the Dealer's Choice matches. Out comes Sting and Darby Allen, and Darby is always asked in interviews, what is it like to team with Sting? And he's also always told to slow down in the ring because he's going to have to retire before Sting. <laughs> he says he started in 2015, and that's when he focused on Sting, who had to retire that year due to an in-ring neck injury and started to wonder, would that happen to me? I'm glad Darby took that caution back in 2015 and decided to tailor his style to such a way that that won't ever happen to me. (laughs) He came to AEW, he said, and he flew to Dallas to train with Sting and within five minutes of working out with him, realized he still had it. And they show the young bucks in the back shaking their heads with their headsets on and tells Sting, this is Darby, that you should retire on your own terms. 
and we're undefeated now. And the rankings are back, so that should make us the number one contenders. But I mean, have they, um, reset? have they won this year? That's right. Yeah. Like, how, how does that work? What are they this year? And he tells Sting, you've still got it, leads a crowd in the chant and says, do you want to end the, your career as a tag team champion? And Sting says, all right, I'm all in. And they got a tag title shot in two weeks. It gave us a woo as well, John. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, they also showed Matt, Nicholas and Matthew watching in the back with, I think, Matthew criticizing one of the camera shots. So <laughs> is this what we're supposed to believe that EVPs are, are doing? Yeah. I mean, maybe are they are they being really meta and they're calling out why are you guys cutting to us? We're on national television right now. Is this you can actually see going on in the ring? Yeah, yeah. You can actually see in one of the sh- screens they can see themselves. But it, it, yeah, um, I thought a very good promo from Darby. You know, he sounds very good to me. It's like one of the underrated parts of you know his his entire sort of game. You know, he he sounds very mature as a speaker. Good projection, good delivery, good structure of words here, and did the bulk of the talking for Sting, who just gave us a nice little woo to end the segment. So they are one and zero this year. They did win that tornado match a few weeks ago with Hobbs and Takeshita. So they're at least on the board for two thousand and twenty-four. Right. I have to think your your overall record, you know, is put into consideration for for these rankings. Well, then then Swerve should be really upset that Hangman's in contention for a title shot. Hmm. True. Starts and Big Bill respond. Thank them for addressing us by name and as champions. They accept the challenge and. Sting isn't even going to make it to Revolution. And Starks brings up Sting's first match in AEW was at Revolution and that it was Sting and Darby against him and my partner at the time, who they note was Brian Cage, who is in the mm. next match. So that's coming up in two weeks in Phoenix. The acclaimed and daddy ass against the Mogul Embassy for the trio's belts. First, we had the Bang Bang Gang come out. Th- this entrance is great. Great. For those three. It's, it's a mm. really great entrance that, that they have. And they're followed by the acclaimed and Max Caster raps about Prince Nana being a Nigerian scammer. Stop emailing my mama Toa as the guy from Moana and that Brian Cage is finally not the most generic guy on the team. Good lines. I felt from Caster. No, hey, it was, it was okay. It's uh, I guess so. Well, for Max Caster rap, I thought it was pretty good. They had the advantage on Bowens for like an hour. They also note the uh, the lat injury that Brian Cage is working through. Nana then grabs Bowens by the leg. He gets kicked away, and then Bowens is knocked off the apron. They go to picture in picture. You're watching this on Triller TV, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. You missed one of the all-time ads during the picture in picture break. I don't typically pay attention, but I had to rewind this because I was like, what did I just see? And it's a mothers against drunk driving ad. And it's an it's a guy that is driving through the drive through high. And this is done like to be serious. And he's trying to order a hamburger while he's high and can't get the words out. <laughs> and it's like a serious ad about like, don't drive high from mothers against drunk driving. <laughs> it's like this. You have to see this thing. It was the most ridiculous thing I have seen. Because you might get your order wrong. He's like, can I get a... 
<laughs> well, you really, you should not drive high. I think the message is no, I'm good. not. Uh, you should not drive high. But this ad was like making a mockery of it. It's just, it was who came up with this? Maybe for the hope that this would be so silly that someone will just have to share the contents of it with people and they'll get the message through. Maybe I'll have to turn on TSN next week just to watch well, this. That, that's what you have in store. Bowens works through all of the break. Then Billy Gunn gets the big tag, hits a Famouser, and then cons in. They grab a chair, but then Jay White steals it away. And then the guns come to their aid, taking Nana, powerbombing him through the timekeeper's table. And then the acclaimed hit their version of the 3D. And Gunn hits a Famouser to con. The arrival, mic drop, and they win in nine minutes, retaining the trio's titles. It was um, uh, a match built to a hot tag for Billy Gunn. The crowd did react to Billy Gunn. Uh, but more yeah. so, it was the backdrop that the Bang Bang Gang, they have their back. Yeah, I thought it was an all right um, match, you know, with maybe a more lively crowd at a different time slot uh, for this particular match. The, my my opinion of it might have been that much bigger. I thought it was all right. A good debut, I suppose, to announce the union of the Bang Bang Scissor Gang helping each other out in the body of their matches. Um Serena Deep Deep Vignette about coming back and her first match since 2022, putting the women's division on notice. And then our main event, which is commercial free, Adam Copeland and Minoru Suzuki. And they start things off and Suzuki just lays in this elbow, dropping Copeland. Uh, He applies a guillotine on the floor and Copeland breaks it by running the two through the barricade and then each slide back in, just breaking the count. And they exchange strikes on their knees. Taz just says he's openly rooting for the AEW guy to win. Shivani then announces the tag title match for two weeks in Phoenix. And the crowd is getting behind both with cheers. There's a spear attempt, but but Suzuki catches him in the Fujiwara armbar and citing his mentor being Yoshiaki Fujiwara. Copeland makes it to the rope and then breaks out of a rear naked choke, hits the spear. Suzuki kicks out of the spear. But then Suzuki sits up and from behind locks in the rear naked choke. Copeland is going out. Bryce goes to raise the arm, but Copeland is still alive and he fights out, sends Suzuki into the corner and then hits the kill switch and pins Minoru Suzuki with Christian Cage's finisher in nine minutes, 25 seconds as Cage is looking disgusted backstage at his move being used to beat Minoru Suzuki. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought this was a good match between, you know, two veterans who grew up in very different systems of professional wrestling here. Um, I got the sense Copeland treated this like a big deal. You know, this like felt like his big, his first real like forbidden door match he's ever had, like outside of of certainly WWE. And um, perhaps it's an indication of how much attention he was paying, paying it to like the world outside of the WWE um, in recent years. Um, I and I thought like it it had that feeling of like, you know, this sort of big important match in, in his career. Um at this point, like Suzuki certainly like has his match formula down. And every time he shows up in AEW, you kind of know what's up. Like he's gonna come in, they're gonna do a lot of forearms, um uh and you know, a lot of hard slaps, and then he's going to do the job. Um but I thought despite that, like, I think everybody left happy here. You know, people were standing up, treating this like it was a big deal. And it got physical enough to the, to the level where you felt like um, and, and, um, like it was, you know, a worthy Minoru Suzuki main event type of match. Yeah, I I got the sense watching it. Number one, I think in a in a different setting, this would have been treated as like 
it would have had the aura that much more. Like, don't get me wrong. They, they were into Suzuki. They were into Adam Copeland. But I, I think it was just just limited by a smaller crowd for this. Um, and it kind of did feel at times like they had a 15-minute match and got it into like 925 here. But satisfying for what it was. Um, I, I did feel mm-hmm. there was some stuff that they were maybe just had the had the rush through uh to, to get to but i think you'd be satisfied with what it was and getting to see minoru suzuki live copeland said afterwards he's never been hit that hard in his life says respect to minoru and offers his hand suzuki just growls and exits and copeland's like i would have been disappointed if he did accept my handshake says that was a war something christian cage knows nothing about and he ended the show by putting on a stink mask from a fan at ringside and that is how things went off the air for dynamite that i thought was like a very average show um some of the wrestling good i didn't think anything got to the level of really great um it was okay i i thought the crowd was like this was a lower energy crowd than most dynamites and i just thought this was like a it's kind of an average show like it pushed some stories Mm -hmm. forward wasn't an inconsequential inconsequential show inconsequential show if i could talk right uh, average, I suppose, you know, I, I wouldn't disagree with it, but I, I think an average Dynamite is still like a pretty good wrestling show. You know, you had good wrestling on, on the show. Like it, it wasn't necessarily like match of the year contender type of uh, level, but I think there was a very weird curiosity. What was the banger alert that the Young Bucks saw on the, on the format sheet? What was the banger alert? Banger alert. Um, uh, could have been Paige and Penta, you know? No, that I was... think it was after that match that they arrived. The, or maybe, maybe right. they, they arrived late. Maybe they didn't know that match had already taken place. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, may, maybe it was. Um, maybe they thought Jeff Hardy versus Swerve was was going to be a, a real alert. banger. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, again, there was a real curiosity to the main event that I thought like satisfyingly de- delivered. You know, um, um, on the um, and the rest. I definitely think this was a show that could have been elevated from just an average show to a good show if with a better crowd. Um, but as it sta- stood, yeah, probably an average edition of Dynamite. All right. Well, there you have it, everybody. The road to Bossier City, Louisiana tonight. Of mm-hmm. So let's go to your feedback and super chats. If anyone wants to uh, throw in some questions uh, from, from the live chat, we will get to those as well. But a few pieces here to get to. Uh, Jake from the Windy City, a big t- supporter of our, ours, uh, sends $5 to say, I'm also curious that the entire archive of WWF, WCW, ECW, the territories, etc. would also go to Netflix. A tremendous burden to transfer all of that. I mean, it was no more burdensome than when, when Peacock had to migrate all of it. Um, it. It's one of the questions that's out there. I would be curious if they even know yet what the status of the library is going to be. Um like I would think like this is not just like we're throwing on this this random programming like we are invested in WWE and creating like maybe there's going to be a whole like WWE section of Netflix. But it's one of the questions that I'm curious as well about that we will we will see. I mean, I I can't see them just eliminating their archive now that they've introduced it to their audience, um, but maybe they find a different platform for it or maybe it's just migrated onto Netflix. If, for the U.S., mm-hmm. it'll be on Peacock, like for at least um, mm-hmm. two more years. So for for U.S. consumers, you don't have to worry about any of that changing until that deals up, which is March of twenty six. At some point in that conversation, you have to imagine they're asking what, how much of a benefit is it to have all of this stuff? 
You know, when, what's the priority? Uh, what's the stuff that we must transfer in, in order to satisfy a majority of this crowd? And what can we get by with not putting it? It's, it's a small number, but it's a loud number of people that will. Right. And how much the, is the, the Netflix idea going to- is like you have presented it, this to us and now you're taking it away and you are right. asking us to sign up for this service. Well, but people will get over it, you know, like it's it's like how much attention is a Netflix going to pay to something like that versus, you know, a Peacock, which I think might be a lot more reliant on that WWE fan base. But if you're Netflix, are you going to listen that much to somebody who's really upset that an edition of um, I don't know, dude, um, raw uh, from September 3rd of 2001 that we have to find next week? I would be very pissed off if that uh, episode was not up there. Um, I'm kind of sad. Like I've really enjoyed having the WWE network here in Canada and I guess um, that's going to go. Yeah. Like the linear channel is going to go away or just even our, the online version that we've been used to. Yeah. All right. Uh, Thanks for the question, Jake. It's, it's one to uh, certainly uh, ask. We go to Benjamin here. It doesn't sound like a very full venue. I wasn't a fan of the opening segment with hook and Joe. I'm glad they put focus on that banger of a match, but the segment this week felt, thrown together and off kilter. I was glad hook was on the show that we didn't just move on and forget about it last week. Um, I was glad they had just like, th- there was some connectivity with last week, what we went off the air with and the idea that hook is still going to be in the orbit of Samoa Joe down the road and at least play off of that. Now, if this is all we see of hook and he's just back to doing FTW matches, I think that'll be a lost um, opportunity of, what was the purpose of last week and building him to that moment and getting that reaction if he just is slotted back to square one. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Like, I think if there was an indication of Hook's next program, you would have had it tonight. Like tonight would have been the night to tell us what his next challenger was going to be. You know, what his next direction is going to be. And I just don't, I don't think so. I think it was just like, hey, we need a, a big win for Samoa Joe, you know, his first big title defense, and who's going to be uh, appropriate for the spot? Hook. With no real sort of, like, idea. I mean, I could be wrong. But the match Maybe. did well. Like, not just reaction, but mm-hmm. number-wise. Like, if that was the the intent, fine. But the result was overachieving. So, yeah, something's been handed to you. How best can you follow up on that? I would be very mm-hmm. disappointed if Hook, a month from now, is of no uh, i mean don't don't that. you think like a direction towards revolution would would be the minimum for so, somebody like a hook coming off of that well maybe he will i mean we can't judge like tonight they put him in a segment with the world champion so i mean yeah. it's it's not as if he was off the show completely tonight and not referred to i would yeah. have been much more pessimistic but I mean, yeah. let's see where they go with him. I will also say, you know, like g- g- giving him sort of like the mm, a few words, you know, type of promo, um, I think is certainly working out for him right now. I, I think it's also pretty evident that it's being done to cover for perhaps an inability or discomfort um, in that domain. Um, I, I hope he's getting like enough practice, you know, like whether I I don't know, know even even if he, he if he even works in these. No. Um, yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, outside of like the wrestling in, on AEW or ROH, pro, like you know, uh, related shows, like what opportunity is Hook getting to cut promos? Um, so I'm hoping he's improving in that domain because I think ultimately that's going to be the one thing that'll determine if he can, you know, elevate to to the next level. Got All a right. super. 
Super chat here from King of the North who says, would Sportsnet want in on AEW content without WWE? It's it opens up the possibility and it's not just Sportsnet. It's a ton. Uh, we talked about this today, like on an international front, there's a ton of broadcasters that have been um, airing WWE that now that package is being migrated in those different territories to Netflix that in theory, you have international outlets that are aware of professional wrestling and it is an opportunity for AEW in markets that they do not have existing deals with in Canada. Um, I don't know the exact time that the TSN deal is up with AEW, but yes, in theory, that opens them up that that could be an outlet for them. Sportsnet does have, they still have a relationship with TKO through UFC, but that would not prohibit them from still um, having pro wrestling programming on their network once WWE exits Sportsnet. Mm -hmm. It's all possible. Uh, Next one up is Jesse, Adam Copeland, Facing a New Japan legend while Okada might be heading to WWE. But hey, TK and AEW, where the Monet? Okay. Um, because Sasha okay. Banks could be returning to WWE at Royal Rumble. Okay. Um, those are thoughts. Anna Root says, didn't enjoy this episode of Dynamite. A step down from the last three weeks. Philip Fillery, and I'm not engrossed in any of the stories at the moment outside of the Joe Hangman Swerve story. P.S. I regret not supporting Black Adam. Is that, um, I guess, in reference to, um, is that a suggestion that if Black Adam did better, Dwayne Johnson would not be involved in any of his current business dealings? I don't know. I don't know if uh, if Black Adam was, uh, you know, transformed the uh, the cinematic universe. Huh. Uh, if things would have played out differently, I don't know. You ever see? You saw Black Adam? No. I oh. I think I might have tried to start it, and then I, I don't think I finished it. Did you look at the Oscar nominees today? Um, briefly. I mean, most of the movies I hadn't seen. Yeah, I saw a handful of them. I guess Oppenheimer seems to be like the big, uh, the big candidate. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon is awesome. I I, I really love that movie. It was excellent. Um, so we'll see how that does. Think Barbie's gonna take something. Um, Ryan Gosling got nominated. Uh, really? Okay. I, I'm not sure. I, I haven't seen enough movies this year to be able to say who, who might or who might not. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, there we go. That was your analysis. Oscar breakdown. Uh, we will, uh, you know, for, for the namesake alone, I think I think that should be your awards show that you really get behind every year. Uh, sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll make a party of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, folks, we are back on Thursday. You Cannot Kill David Arquette, which I don't think got nominated uh, for any... Academy Awards that particular year, but we are going back to review that uh, only came out a couple of years back. An interesting look at David Arquette and his love affair with professional wrestling and his, uh, and his relationship with his WCW run and perception to professional wrestling fans. So we'll talk about that with Tyler Crane, who was the espresso executive producer that chose that. And given um, the schedule that we have, we're actually going to be doing three straight Thursdays of rewind away. So we'll be doing the next three Thursdays rewind away is coming your way. A 2001 edition of raw next week. And then one I'm looking forward to, like really looking forward to is the smashing machine uh, featuring Mark Kerr. This was the documentary that came out over 20 years ago and is now going to be adapted into a film starring Dwayne Johnson, black Adam as Mark Kerr. Who now is on the board of directors for the company that owns the UFC and 
pride, I suppose, you know? So in a weird way, Mark Kerr is a board of director for TKO. You know, what a, what an interesting way. ending. Yes. So all that's coming your way. And again, Saturday night, we're live minutes after the Royal Rumble. So tune in here. We will be taking your calls. Uh, if if all goes according to plan, we'll be joined by Brandon Thurston after the press conference to give us a recap of what is uh, covered during that. Uh, so we'll have a lot to discuss on Saturday night for one of the major shows of the year. And if you want to call in about Eugene Nagata and Brian Danielson, you're welcome to do so too. But because so much will be focused on the Rumble Saturday night and the fact that John Cena is also going to the Rumble, Collision Course will be delayed a day and Cena and Kate will be back on Sunday to recap Collision from Bossier City, Louisiana. So that is it for us. Thank you for tuning in and we will speak with you Thursday on Rewind Away. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.